Well, good morning. And no, I'm not Stan. I'm not Scott. And those are hard shoes to step into, believe me. Uh, for those of you that are watching on Facebook, my name is Richard Cheatham, and my wife and I are just thrilled to be back full-time here at First Baptist Church as a member. It's been a thrill. It has been a blessing to, to us in this year or so that we've been back. Uh, let me begin by telling you about the words of Frank Howard. Frank Howard was the athletic director at Clemson University, and they approached him and said, Frank, we need to add rowing to our list of sports. Frank thought for a minute, and he said, as long as I'm athletic director, we ain't going to have no sport where you sit down and go backwards. <laughs> My prayer on this morning in 2018 is that in the Southern Baptist Convention, we would have no church that's just sitting down and going backwards. But you know what? We got a problem. In 2015, we had 26% more baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention than we had last year. 26% more. We have more churches, about 47,000 churches, but our membership has fallen by a million three. So somewhere along the way, some of us have been sitting down and going backwards. Let's look at some scriptures that might prevent that backward slide anymore. The Great Commission appears in Three places that I find in the New Testament. The first one is in your notes, the Matthew account. Let's read them, and then let me put the whole thing in Wimberley, Texas, English. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Now note this, but some doubted. Okay. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, what did Mark say in Mark 16, 15 through 16? He reported the words of Jesus like this. In case we thought he didn't mean the whole world, Mark says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Didn't want to leave anybody out. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then Dr. Luke's account in the book of Acts, just before Jesus ascended up into the heavens, Luke says that Jesus said these words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, now let's go back to that passage where supposedly Jesus was just talking to the disciples and some doubted. I think Paul gives us an insight there. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, he says Jesus appeared to more than 
500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. Some of them have fallen asleep. Paul would indicate that when Jesus gave that great commission in Galilee, he had the 11, but there were at least 500 total. Now, now let's put this in, in good old Texas English here. I, I loved it so much a few years ago when I got to see Dan play the role of Jesus in the gospel according to Texas. Well, let me give you the great commission according to Texas. Jesus is the sheriff, and he says to his deputies there in Jerusalem, after he appeared to them on the day of the resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. So eight days later, he came again and appeared to them so that Thomas could also see the nail prints in his hands and say, my Lord and my God. Well, now, right there in Jerusalem, they had already had the Feast of the Pentecost. The Jews were taught they had to go back three times to the temple. There was the Passover, there was Shabbat, that's the Pentecost, and then there was the Feast of the Tabernacles. Well, it's only 50 days separating Passover and the Shabbat, the Pentecost. So a lot of them stayed there. And I can just hear the boys say to the sheriff, what do you mean leave? You've been resurrected and all these people are in town. Let's just stay right here and tell everybody that you've been raised from the dead. You know what Jesus told them? He said, go to Galilee. Say what? <laughs> leave all these people, all this crowd that's here for the two feasts. You want us to go to Galilee? Folks, when we traveled with Scott, we got to go in an air-conditioned motor coach from Galilee down to Jerusalem. It was pleasant. But Jesus told these disciples to go to Galilee. It's 70 miles to the lowest point of the shore of the Sea of Galilee from Jerusalem. And where they probably went to the mountain was walking the distance from here to Lackland Air Force Base in South San Antonio. Hey, what? Leave all these people and go to that desolate area? Jesus, that's like West Texas. Why should we go to that barren area where all the people are here? But they did what Jesus said. Well, they got to Galilee. No Jesus. Peter looked around and said, where is he? Oh, no, I haven't seen him. Have you seen him? No, I haven't seen him. Peter said, that does it. I'm going fishing. You have to kind of read between the lines. But he said that. I go fishing. Six of them said, we're going to go with you. So seven of them went fishing, and they had the patience of my dad. My dad, who lived to be 98, was one of the most patient fishermen that ever lived. They fished all night. And what's the rest of that verse? They caught nothing. Oh, they're dog tired. They've wasted a night. But somebody looks at the shore, and there's Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, I've got a fire started. Bring the meat. And they said, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, cast your nets on the other side. They did that, and they brought in so much fish that they thought it was going to break the nets. Jesus cooked them a nice fish meal, and they were eating together. Of course, you know the story about Peter three times being asked if Jesus Ask of Jesus if he loved him. And three times, Peter got impatient. Lord, you know it all. You know I love you. Now, remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus had to ask him if he loved him three times. 
to get that true repentance. Well, they had such a wonderful time with the master. This is what I believe really happened. They spread the word throughout Galilee, Capernaum, everywhere else. Hey, Jesus has resurrected, and he's right up here with us. And he told us about a mountain that we were to go to. Come join us. And that's how Paul says 500 of them came. The, the seven told the rest of the 11. The 11 told others. And when Jesus gives you the great commission that we read as our scripture text today, there are at least 500 brethren listening to him. Now, here's what I'd like us to do. Some of you remember 25 years ago, so you know that I can't preach without three points and a poem. <laughs> They're right there in your notes. We're going to look at the commission. Who are these people that are supposed to go and make disciples of all nations? Then we're going to examine the commission. What is it that we're supposed to do? And then we're going to look at the companion the one that's going to empower us and be with us as we make disciples. Well, first of all, the commission. I got a question. Uh, how many of you here serving in the armed forces were commissioned officers? Would you raise your hand? Look around the room. Let's give them a hand. Let me tell you why that's important. I, uh, I play golf with old Dewey, and I had no respect at all for him till I studied this sermon. And I realized that to just be a commissioned officer up through lieutenant or, or even uh, uh, lieutenant, uh, uh, oh, excuse me, all the way to captain in the regular services and then all the way to lieutenant in the Navy, you have to be commissioned by the president of the United States, his authority. Now, the letter may come from the Pentagon, but the authority is the president. But people like Dewey that made it all the way to lieutenant colonel, if you're a colonel or go all the way up to captain in the Navy, you're commissioned by the president and have to be approved by the Senate. Y'all better salute that man next time you see him. Somebody approved by the president and the Senate. They didn't know him. <laughs> well, I got good news for you. Those of us in this room... And everybody that's trusted Jesus Christ as Savior has been commissioned by a greater authority than the President of the United States. The first verse, Jesus said, all authority is given to me. And he said to us, on my authority, I commission you. Go you. Now, the old King James Version that I grew up with had the ye in it. That's why I recorded it in parenthesis. Go ye. Now, in the original language, it didn't have the ye because it was understood. As an English major, I understood that you got to have a subject, you got to have a verb to have a sentence, but sometimes there is an understood subject. So when Jesus says to the 500 people, go and make disciples, they understood he was talking to them. My brother's five years older than me, and my sister just 13 months. We all had our chores to do. And when my mother would say to me, looking right at me, take out the trash, I didn't have to say, who are you talking to? <laughs> are you talking to me? No. I could not say to my mother, that's not my gift. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not that talented. 
When she said, go take out the trash, that was my commission, and I knew she was talking to me. Let me tell you something. When he says, go, he's talking to you and to you and to you. He's not just talking to the preacher, not just talking to the deacons. Somebody that didn't know our church said, what's the difference in a pastor and a deacon? And a little boy said, well, the best I can figure it, I saw the budget. The preacher gets paid for being good, and the deacons are good for nothing. (laughs) Mike, that was for you. (laughs) No, the commission is not just to the pastor. It's not just to the person that we elected as a Sunday school teacher. It's not just for the deacons. When he says go, he's talking to every single one of us. One L and I later in our marriage took our first cruise. If you've never been on a cruise, you don't know what it's like to be pampered. Because even the cheap ones that we were on, Carnival, some of the lower level ones, get this, have at least one crew member for every two passengers. Did you know that? That's the cheap one. You go on the expensive ones that we've never been on, and it's two to one. They've got two crew members pampering each passenger. Let me tell you folks something. On the gospel ship, there are no passengers intended. God intends it to be every single one of us a crew member. Every single one of us being members of the body of Christ with an obligation to share his commission. If you can't share with your neighbor, share with somebody else's neighbor. If you can't share with your child, share with somebody else's child. If you can't share with your grandchild, share with somebody else's grandchild. But the great commission is go, and go means every single one of us. Now, that is who we are, the commission. What is our commission? Uh, Let's look at the definition of that commission. He tells us to make disciples. Our commission is not just go, 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 but what are we doing? We're making disciples by doing three things. As we're going, as we're baptizing, and as we're teaching. Let's think about the commission itself. Good definition of a commission here. To formally choose someone to do a special piece of work or to formally ask for a special piece of work from someone. I don't know if Juanel remembers it or not, but when I was in Lubbock pastoring a church there and teaching at Texas Tech University, we'd sometimes get phone calls that were intended for another Richard Cheatham. Dick Cheatham. He was an artist in Lubbock. But some of the people at Texas Tech called me Dick Cheatham. One night, it was about one o'clock. Phone rang. Person on the other end. Dick, is that you? I said, yeah, yeah. Dick Cheatham? Yeah, it's Dick Cheatham. They were calling from California. It was a lot earlier there than it was when they woke me up in Lubbock. And the person said, Dick, my wife and I talked about it, and we want to send you a $1,000 down payment 
for that sculpture work you're going to do for me. Could you give me your address? I wanted to say, yeah, let me give you that 5105 Kenosha Drive. Send the $1,000. We'll, I'll sculpt anything I can. I'll do the best I can. But no, uh, the people in the art department when I was the dean of fine arts and communication knew that I could not draw flies. And they knew that no sculpture, no painting was in my ability. Uh, I had to say, I think you got the wrong Dick Cheatham. Hey, oh, well, you sounded kind of different. I said, okay. Um, commission. We're given a piece of work to do. That piece of work is to make disciples. Now, we have to make them by going where they are. You know, they had to cast the nets on the other side in order to be where the fish were. I talked to Stan when he was here. I had to follow the leadership of our pastor since I wanted to know for sure what go meant. So I asked Stan. I said, Stan, right back here at the back. I said, well, what does that great commission mean? Without hesitation, Stan said, the best translation is as you are going. Uh-oh, some of us thought go meant a foreign missionary. Go meant someone ministering to the Indians of New Mexico, Arizona. No, as you are going, make disciples. Now, don't misunderstand. Mark says it is into all the world. So you ought to thank God every day that when you contribute to this church, in a way you're carrying out the Great Commission. I asked Wyatt to give me some numbers for last year. Here's what he came up with. This church had a total offering, total receipts, of about $1,400,000. God blessed richly. But what I'm really thankful for is 144,000 of that went directly through our cooperative program to support the state, all of our Baptist colleges, all of our hospitals and our other work in Texas. And then the seminaries, six of them received support. But in addition to that, listen to this. Even though we're down in the number of missionaries from where we were a few years ago, we still have 3,551 missionaries on foreign soil. We still have 5,212 home missionaries ministering right here in the United States of America, anywhere from the inner cities to the reservations of New Mexico and Arizona and other places. Every time you drop an offering in the offering plate, that's part of your going. Because out of those receipts, 144,000 went directly through the cooperative program. Another 30,000 went to missions out of the budget. Now hold on to your seat. On top of that, last year, 2017, you all gave 271,000 more dollars for Harvey Relief, for the Annie Armstrong offering, the Mary Hill Davis offering, for the Lottie Moon offering, supporting home missions, state missions, foreign missions. If you can't add very quickly, that's $445,000. 
dollars that you all contributed. So everybody here can say, yeah, I went, (laughs) I was going, but now don't pat yourself on the back too quickly because you don't just go by dropping an offering in the plate. He said, in addition to these other people, these missionaries, as you are going, what does that mean? I like what Stan said. We got to tell other people about Jesus. When we're standing in line at Walmart, when we're at HEB at the checkout, and if necessary, Stan would say, use words. <laughs> now, what does he mean by that? For many, many years in communication, I taught nonverbal communication. I've seen some of us good Christian people standing behind somebody in line that was having to fumble through their purse to find a credit card or a wallet, tamping our feet and shaking our head. The poor checker couldn't figure out the price on something. Oh, I got to hurry and get back to my television or whatnot. As you're going, we've got some wonderful sports programs, and some of you will see your grandson or your granddaughter playing soccer or some other sport. And when you see that referee and they make a call that you don't agree with, you've got a chance to make a disciple (laughs) or you've got a chance to make an absolute fool of yourself. Now, the worst experience of my life was trying to umpire little league baseball. By some of the Baptist people at Hart, Texas, I got called names that a sailor wouldn't use. I couldn't see a ball. I couldn't see a strike. I didn't know when someone was safe or when they were out. As you are going. I believe that means every step we take. And and I got to tell you, I'm going to stop preaching and start meddling with myself here. Because if I don't do this, my friends out there will speak up. I guess that means that when Dewey is about to try to make a putt, I shouldn't tell him that it moves to the left when it really moves to the right. (laughs) It's hard to take that advice, but I think I better. John, I do you the same way, don't I? All right. As we are going we should baptize the believers. Now, who gets baptized? There are some people that like to baptize infants, and I think if they want to just say we're dedicating the baby to the Lord and promise to be a good parent, I believe in baby dedication, but I only believe in baptizing believers. That's the scriptural part. Remember one time Philip saw an Ethiopian eunuch sitting in his chariot, and he was looking at a scroll of Isaiah, trying to figure out who was Isaiah talking about. Philip came up to him, and he explained, this is Jesus, and you've got to trust Jesus, and then be baptized. And the eunuch said, well, what keeps me from being baptized? Remember Philip's words? If you believe. The only person that ought to go under the water is somebody that already believes and trusts in Jesus Christ. Because if they're an unbeliever when they go under, they're an unbeliever when they come up. They're just a wet unbeliever instead of a dry unbeliever. The baptism is a wonderful identification. You know, Jesus himself was baptized of John, wasn't he? Did you ever figure out why that was the case? 
John had said, there cometh one after me that I'm not even worthy to lace up his shoes. Jesus was baptized of John to identify with John to say this is the one he was talking about. Jesus was baptized to identify with John. We're baptized to identify with Jesus. It is an act of obedience, an act of identification. And that's where it begins. We're baptized believers, and that's where it's supposed to end, right? Well, that's going to bring us to the third point, and that's that we are to disciple people through teaching them. You know, Dan, I guess we've gotten away, you and Wyatt and Joe. We used to, in Baptist churches, have people come forward. And when they came forward, there would be one of the people, the church secretary or someone, would have a little clipboard, and we would hand it to them, and the preacher would say to them, be seated. We don't do that anymore because we realized that most of the people that we said that to thought they were receiving the Great Commission when they were told to be seated. J.B. Gramble was a wonderful pioneer in Baptist work. He was president of Mercer University. He was the first editor of our Baptist Standard in Texas. J.B. Gramble had a wonderful comment. He said, baptism, conversion and baptism, that's the end of the Christian life. But it's the front end. The front end. You see, Jesus is not excited when all we do is baptize somebody and then forget all about them. The rest of the commission says, teach them the things that I've taught you. Now, let's think what some of those things were. Matthew is writing this. Anybody ever read Matthew 5 through 7? The Sermon on the Mount? We teach people how to be happy. The Beatitudes are good attitudes to be in. Jesus taught us that. So we ought to teach people the Beatitudes. He taught us how to pray in Matthew 5 through 7. So we ought to know how we really go about praying. He taught us how to settle a grievance. He taught us so many things. He taught us how to give. He told us not to worry about so many things that go wrong in our lives, but to know that God is with us. So what we've got to do with every believer is make that baptized person a disciple. And the way they become a disciple, teach them all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. I'm excited that our pastor is going to have a series on discipleship after the first of the year, because that's where it is. That's where it's got to be. I'm excited he's going to preach through Acts next year seeing each step along the way of building a church that honors God. I, I was excited last Sunday to attend the leadership meeting here and to learn better what it means in this church to find our shape. Well, raise your hand if you've heard that comment, shape. Aha, uh -huh, see, we got some work to do, Dan. There's only a few. Let me have a confession here with you. I can't do a jigsaw puzzle. I've tried, but there's too many pieces. I've bent them. I've twisted them to try to make them fit. I give up. 
One L will tell you, I have never, ever in my life completed the jigsaw puzzle. But as we go through discipleship in this church, what you're going to be taught is that we're all a complicated jigsaw puzzle. And you're a unique piece. And you're a unique piece. And I'm a unique piece. And we've all got to be right where we belong. And, and shape simply means discovering what our personal spiritual gifts are. Developing a heart for others, a compassion. That's the age. Knowing what our abilities are and staying within those abilities. Understanding our unique personality is the P. And then all of our experiences. God gave them to us for a reason so we could share them with others. That's your shape. That's my shape. And we all have a personal discipleship responsibility in this church. And then the larger acronym, the, the peace plan. We're going to plant other churches. I, I hope you realize that right now, part of the Great Commission is your responsibility as you pray for Scott and the team as they work with pastors in Cuba. I hope you understand that, that as we plant other churches and plant the seeds, when, when our pastor went to Saddleback and taught other pastors the things that he's taught us, you're going with him and you're developing. You are finding the ability to plant other churches. Uh, Larry and Wyatt, when you all went with Donna to Kenya. We were planting the seeds. So the, the, the P in the peace plan is to plant. Uh, the E is to equip leaders. We've got to all be ready and, and sharpened and ability to be there. Uh, the, the A is to assist the poor. The C is to care for the sick. And finally, the last E is to educate the next generation. Now, isn't that what Matthew remembered Jesus saying? Teach them. Teach them to observe all things. God's will is that we just keep learning. Start with Matthew 5 through 7. But like Paul said, when he came to the end of this way, I've not yet apprehended. I don't know everything I ought to know, but I keep pressing toward the mark, the prize the high calling of God. He told young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. Every single day, we ought to learn more than we knew the day before. Every single day, we ought to be able to be more Christ-like than the day before. Did you hear about the story of old deacon Guthrie? He thought he should run the church just about every church, small ones especially, have one like that. He didn't want anything to happen that wasn't his idea. He passed away when he was 86 years old. And somebody just heard about it after the fact. They said, well, we didn't see you at the graveside service for Deacon Guthrie. Oh, Deacon Guthrie died? When did he die? And the person said, when he was in his 40s. May that never be said of us. Heard about a teacher that applied for a job. And the principal said, let me see your notes 
that you teach this unit on science. And she pulled out some crinkled old yellow notes that she had used 20 years ago. And she had claimed to have 20 years experience. The principal folded them up and said, I can't hire you because you don't have 20 years experience. You've got one year of experience. You just repeated it 20 times. Grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, we better get to the final point, and that's the companion. Ah, you could go ahead and show them that quote from Seneca again. Go back, back it up one. I believe this. If you want to really learn something, try to teach it to someone else. The more you try to explain anything in the Bible to somebody else, the more you study it, the more you are going to understand it. Now, now, now let's hit that final point. I'm glad that God doesn't ask us to be his witnesses in our own power. He told them in the Acts account, pray and then you'll receive the power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Matthew, he said, I am going to be with you all the way, all the time. Since my daughter moved to the Washington, D.C. area, goodness, I guess it's been close to 20 years ago. My, how time flies when you're having fun. Juanel and I have made many trips to Reagan, to Baltimore Airport, to Washington, Dallas. And every time we go, you got to go across that different climactic condition created by the mountains, the, the Smoky Mountains. Sometimes you're going along and that airplane just drops suddenly. <laughs> what happened? Other times you have turbulence and it feels like the wings are going to come off of it. Do you know what? calms me down when we have one of those experiences and suddenly the captain comes on. Ladies and gentlemen, we're experiencing a little bit of turbulence. We're going to go up to an altitude about 10,000 feet higher and we should get a little smoother. Bear with us. And then the captain, okay, ladies and gentlemen, it should be a little easier for us now. I could be afraid of the wing falling off if it weren't for the captain saying, it's going to be all right. There's not a week of my life that I don't need to hear my captain say to me, it's going to be all right. Because he said, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. A song that I grew up with that some of you have gray enough hair that you remember also went something like this. I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing trying to conquer my soul. But then I heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on 
because he promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. And then another song that we'll put on the screen for you has meant so much to me. As you're going, wherever God asks you to go, it may be in the valley where countless dangers hide. It may be in the sunshine that I in peace abide. But this one thing I know, if it be dark or fair, if Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Tis heaven to me, wherever I be, if he is there. I count it a privilege here, his cross to bear. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Look around this room, how many of us there are. Look around. Do you realize what a difference we in this room can make if we take seriously these words of the Great Commission? The final thought to illustrate it I want to leave you with is this one. Suppose I were to ask you to work for one else since you can't get me off the golf course. Suppose you wanted someone to work for her, to do all of her gardening, and to keep her lawn trimmed and everything. And suppose she were to say to you, I'll pay you a penny a day. How many of you would work for her for 30 days? That's my wage, a penny a day. <laughs> How many of you would, one L, I don't see a single hand. I'm sorry, honey, but they don't love you enough to do your gardening. Suppose I were to say that 1L just inherited some money, and if you'll do her gardening for one month, she's going to give you, get this, $3 million. Now, how many of you would do it? Come on, be honest. Oh, boy. You got a lot of help, huh? Now, suppose I made one other offer. I said, in place of the $3 million, she'll start out with that penny-a-day business but she's going to double it each day for 30 days. Now, would you work for her for a penny of day, doubled every day for 30, or do you want the 3 million? Don't answer out loud because some of you took the 3 million and ran. But let me give you some numbers. One penny a day working for my wife. On the 10th day, you'd be paid $5.12. Yay! But on the 20th day, she'd have to give you $5,242. On the 30th day, she would give you $5,378,709. And cumulatively, she would have paid you over $10,700,000. Now, what does that have to do with this sermon? It has been stated that with our 7.6 billion people in the world, if we had two witnesses, two disciples, 
who could take this seriously and disciple others. Then we had four, and they took it seriously and divided others and invited them to disciple. Then there were eight. If you repeat that and they double just 32 times, it equals the population of the world. And the Bible says when that does happen, Jesus will return. When all ethnic, when all nations, all languages have heard the gospel at least once, then he will return. Will you make a new commitment to that old commission? Will you promise that you're not going to be one of those that sits down and goes backwards? <laughs>